Guy, we need the handheld mic now. Thank you. Verses 5 to 25. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. He belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees blamelessly. But they were old. They were childless because Elizabeth, sorry, Oh. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. And you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, 
the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he couldn't speak to them. They realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When the time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Today's, <clears throat> today's second reading comes from Isaiah, page 724, page 724. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, starting at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. <clears throat> Pardon me. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together from the mouth of, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much to our readers, but especially to Geraldine, thank you for giving us such a wonderful, practical um, idea of what it must have been like when Zechariah came out of the temple. He couldn't communicate in the normal way. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that we do have time this morning and freedom to sit and listen to you. Please speak to our hearts and mind of your truth. Amen. So, today we are getting ready for a special occasion. I know that most women spend a great deal of time and energy to assemble just the right outfit to fit the mood of the moment wherever they're going. I've got no idea what goes through a man's mind. But once I had a teaching colleague who chose his tie for every day with particular care. My personal favourite was the one depicting the young James Dean from Rebel Without a Cause. We knew we were in for a good day when he came to work wearing that tie. Luke's Gospel is all about Jesus, but he's not even mentioned for the first 30 verses. I don't know if you've noticed that. Because before we approach 
this most wonderful of moments when God reaches out to man in human form. Luke wants us to get ready. We need to prepare ourselves to appreciate what a momentous thing is happening. I've been asking people this week how they get ready, how they start to prepare for Christmas. For some, it seems that it's the listening to Christmas music. For others, it's the warmth of the kitchen and the smell of the spices that pervade the house like a cosy blanket as the Christmas cake slowly cooks in the oven. And, and that's what heralds Christmas approaching for some people. I wonder if you'd like to just turn to your neighbour and tell them what it is for you that sets you off thinking about Christmas. How do you prepare I'm kind of sorry to interrupt, really. You're all having such a jolly time. Perhaps we can continue those conversations um, over coffee, because they, they're making you all smile. It's good stuff, isn't it? It's good to have tradition. We deck the halls, we bake cakes, we listen to special music, we visit Christmas markets if you're from Bath, or twinkly light displays if you're from Chatham. That's the sort of thing they do over there, I seem to recall. It's all to get our minds in a more receptive place for approaching an important occasion. Sometimes our preparations resent, uh, represent sorry, generations of family tradition. In doing what we do, we think back to happy times, secure times, and we remember people who we love who are no longer with us. Often our preparations are rooted in the past. And these traditions and family folklore, they give us comfort for today and courage for the future. We find that place in our hearts where we can set aside the worries and stresses of right now. And we linger for a moment in hope and anticipation. We allow ourselves to get ready. Just as Christmas cakes and puddings are cooked weeks in advance and set our mouths watering at the thought, so the Christmas story for Luke starts well before Jesus' birth. He sets the scene. As he says in verse 3, he starts at the very beginning. Luke is a Gentile and he's writing for other Gentiles to read. But he's looking at this story through Hebrew eyes. The history of Israel stretches back a long, long way. And for the Hebrew people, historical events were seen against a backdrop of faith, woven into the tapestry of life as the people of Israel have experienced it. History and theology interwoven, if you like. God 
breaking in with purpose and power into the ordinary doings of men. What an exciting thought. This is why Luke starts by placing the action very precisely in its historical context. Herod the Great was elevated to be king in Palestine in 40 BC, the history books tell us. It was as a reward for services to Rome. He's recorded as being a harsh man who ruled by threat and fear. It's a time of national suffering for the people of Israel, physically and spiritually. God has not spoken through the prophets to his people for over 400 years. There's a longing to see God at work again, to see the nation restored to its former glory. The Old Testament contains many, many promises of blessing that God intends to pour out on Israel. But the greatest is that one day God himself will come among his people with all his chastening, cleansing, redeeming, and sanctifying power. Now, I don't know how good you are at memorizing scripture. It's not, to be honest, my strong suit. But the people of Israel really knew their stuff. And they longed to see these blessings come to be. The very way that Luke unfolds the story so far brings to mind other stories in Israel's history where God intervened in the lives of his people. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, perhaps. Rachel and Jacob. Also the birth of Samuel. Uh, so Samson in Judges 13. What happens next is not to the Hebrew listener a strange new thing or an isolated experience, but rather it fits into what has become a sequence of events, long-standing as we see God's purposes worked out in a very human drama. Luke is preparing us to see God at work in an extraordinary way. So, into this picture of national suffering is introduced a private tragedy. Individual pain, so deep, so raw. The personal pain of a couple who long for a family but remain childless for many, many years. For a Jew, Childbearing was actually a duty as well as a joy. And to fail in this brought shame and disgrace on a woman publicly, not to mention her private sorrow. But Zechariah and Elizabeth are nonetheless a devout and godly couple. They're not feeling sorry for themselves, but rather living a godly and blameless life as well as any man and woman could. They both come from priestly families. You see, all male descendants of Aaron were priests. They were divided into 24 groups, and because they were so numerous, they served only twice a year at the temple in Jerusalem for a week at a time. The rest of the time, they served as country priests and teachers in their hill villages. 
Zechariah would have gladly left his home on the hill country to spend a week in rooms in Jerusalem serving at the temple. It was a privilege and the highlight of a priest's year to serve God and his people in this way. To enter the temple and actually burn the incense before the morning or evening sacrifice was really the top job. It was a huge privilege, decided on by drawing lots between those who were on duty. Many priests would never, ever get a turn to burn the incense and watch the smoke rising as it symbolized the prayers of the people rising to heaven before they came out of the holy place and offered a priestly blessing on the assembled people. To be chosen would definitely be something to put on your Facebook timeline, to tweet, to tell all your friends about in minute detail and probably go on about it for years and years to come. So it was an appropriate setting for the opening of this gospel story. A once in a lifetime experience. Anticipation and expectation would have been high. Perhaps if you're married, a little bit like the morning of your wedding. So Luke, the doctor, Luke, the historian, Luke, the storyteller, opens his gospel account in such a way that we expect to see God at work. Perhaps what comes as more of a surprise is that immediately we see God at work in the ordinary things of life. We see God at work in the habitual. Zechariah and Elizabeth were dutiful, godly people, simply going about their business and taking joy in serving God where he has placed them. Sometimes regular, dutiful observance doesn't appear very glamorous but it provides the context for extraordinary encounters with God. Many of you could testify to that. This is why Christian people down the ages have valued gathering together regularly and meeting to pray and read God's word together. Self-discipline is not a terribly popular concept in today's world, but in truth, this is what God rewards in Zechariah's story. Zechariah could have decided he'd give temple service a miss on this occasion. Perhaps he couldn't be bothered to trail all the way down to the city with all its crowds and the inconvenience of being away from home. Perhaps he and more, perhaps he had more exciting projects to be about in his own parish. Or perhaps his regular work left him feeling really rather jaded and in need of a holiday more than a trip to the city for extra duties. But God's message came to Zechariah in God's house because God's voice speaks to those who are listening for it. If you're keen to know what God is saying in your life, I think Zechariah would advise you to adopt a regular habit of listening. If you want to hear God, a good first step is to find a regular time to be still and to listen to him and then to guard it jealously 
like Zechariah, you might be surprised what you hear. So we see God at work in the habitual. We see God at work in the ordinary. God regularly works through ordinary people doing what they normally do. Zechariah reveals himself actually not to be a faith-filled superhero by any means. In spite of his and Elizabeth's anguished prayers about their lack of children, he is astonished when God says he's going to answer and give them a son. He even says to the angel, are you sure? Imagine that. Like many of us at times, he prays with a kind of half-faith. If you're honest, how often are you utterly amazed when God answers your prayers? And yet God sees our heart. And in spite of all our inadequacies and the lack of true faith, he's loving and merciful. Zechariah's tragedy is very human. He's an old man, and he's probably, in truth, given up over ever having a family. But he's nonetheless devoted, and he holds himself ready for what God has in mind for him. Are you willing to hold yourself ready for what God might speak into your life? Are you willing to let him use the pattern of your ordinary, everyday life to do something extraordinary? God's intervention in Zechariah's life would not only bring joy to him personally, but transform the lives of many. Not many of us are called to be priests, but we can all choose to put ourselves at God's disposal on a daily basis, in the shop or the office, in the classroom or the bus queue. Whatever your ordinary round looks like, are you willing for God to use you for the sake of his kingdom. Teresa of Avila wrote a poem which begins, Christ has no body but yours, no hands, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. We see God at work in the habitual. We see God at work in the ordinary. And finally, we see God at work in the world. This extraordinary story of hope is not just about Zachariah's joy nor is it simply about Elizabeth's release from the pain and shame of childlessness. Although, in his loving kindness, when our Heavenly Father acts on a large scale, he takes care of little details too. God uses simple, powerless people to usher in an era of justice, love and mercy for all. It's about the fulfilment of God's eternal purposes for humankind. Salvation for humankind begins to unfold in this private moment of worship with an old man doing his duty with nobody else watching.
Is it not a beautiful thing that a woman and a family that the world considered deficient, God is pleased to call fit? It's through Elizabeth that the prophecies of the Old Testament begin to come to pass, and salvation will come, not just to Israel, but to the whole world. It's through Elizabeth that John the Baptist will be born, as we've just heard in our reading from Isaiah. This child will grow up to be the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. His job is not simply to announce the coming of Jesus, but to urge people to make ready for the coming King. As we gather around the communion table this Advent morning, we rejoice that God sent his only Son to live, die, and rise again for our sakes, that we might live restored and forgiven and in relationship once again with our Heavenly Father. We gather to prepare our hearts and minds to celebrate that most amazing gift of His Son on Christmas morning. And as we prepare, let us, like Luke, expect to see God at work in the habitual, God at work in the ordinary, and God at work in the world. Let's pray. God of hope who brought love into the world, be the love that dwells between us. God of hope who brought peace into the world, be the peace that dwells between us. God of hope who brought joy into the world, be the joy that dwells between us. God of hope, the rock on which we stand, be the center, the focus of our lives and our worship this Advent morning. Amen. <laughs>